they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Good morning. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here for Riverwood Church, and really, really, really glad that each and every one of you have joined us, whether you're here with us in person or you're online. Uh, I just want to point out a couple of uh, people that I'm really glad are here. First is Michelle. She was uh, in the hospital with pneumonia due to COVID. She's out, baby's safe. She's doing well, so we're very, very thankful there. And also... Also, Hazel Schaefer is in the house. All right, don't, don't overwhelm the baby, but uh, at least take a peek of the acuteness uh, and, and say hello. So congratulations, Schaefer family. Uh, I want to start with a little imaginary scenario. So if you have children, this is going to be fairly easy. But if you don't have kids, you're going to have to pretend, all right? Now, you're going to have to pretend you have at least two children because you're pretending. I don't care if you pretend you have nine children and you can make them as cute as you want. But you have to pretend you have at least two children. They're in the house with you, but they're somewhere else in the house. They're back in the living room or back in a bedroom. Maybe they're down in the basement. And what you hear is laughter. Just total pure joy and laughter. They are having a blast. I mean, you're, you're listening in and they're just giggling one after another. I mean, it just is rolling. It's wonderful. What's your heart thinking in that moment? It's, it's like music to your ears. It's, it's fantastic. But what if I told you that the reason they're back in the bedroom or they're down in the basement is because you gave them a job to do. And you suddenly, you know, sneak down the stairs or you, you walk down the hallway and you peek in and the toys are still strewn everywhere. Not a single toy has been picked up. The laundry is still in the basket, despite you telling them three times that it needs put away. Like they're having a ball, but they haven't done a thing. Now, how do you feel? That was this morning. Well, at least your kids like each other. That, that's the good thing. I, for me, I, I think I would be mixed. There'd be part of me that, that enjoys the moment. It's, it's such a joy for me to see my children just love each other and get along and, and play. There have been so many times that Leanne and I have just looked at each other and smiled when we've seen our children just enjoying one another's presence. But I will confess, there would also be a part of me frustrated. Like, I asked you to go, go and do a simple thing. Just pick up the toys and nothing has been done. Today, the, the passage I just read at Acts 2, it, the church is acting a little bit like your children. They're having a ball together. An absolute blast. But they aren't doing what they've been asked to do. Now, now, don't mishear me. Part of the joy that they're having is part of God's design for them. That We're going to see today that is definitely part of the mission God gave them. But that wasn't all. We're going to discover today how the early church actually missed out on the mission and what God did to bring them back to it 
so that they might accomplish the mission he had for them. So if you brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Acts chapter 2. As you turn to Acts 2, I want to open up in prayer for our time together. So Heavenly Father, as we turn now to your holy scriptures, would you be our teacher? Uh, Just because I've put in some time and work and energy into this message, I realize, God, it isn't about what I want to say. Ultimately, this is about what you are saying to all of us. Father, I long for Riverwood Church to be the church you designed it to be, for it to be the church you call us to be. Because I believe as we live out the mission you've called us to, we will find our greatest joy in there, and you will receive the greatest glory possible. So, Lord, I pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts, that today it wouldn't be just about what each of us individually wants to get out of this, but ultimately about what you are calling us together as a church to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of spoil today's uh, message. Last week, uh, as we looked at the redeemed people of God, I I waited until about three-fourths of the way through to give you the first part of our definition of the church. Uh, This week, I've given it to you right at the front. All right, so last week we saw that the church is the redeemed people of God. This week, we're seeing that those redeemed people of God are living on mission together. That's our next phrase, living on mission together. This mission that we see that we're going to look at today is all over the scriptures, but it is probably most clear in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's known as the Great Commission. Now, you don't have to turn there. We're coming right back to Acts. I want to read this, though, for you, because what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the commission that Jesus gives the church, and then we're going to go to Acts 2, and we're going to see, are they actually doing it? All right, so listen carefully as we get ready to look at it from an an Acts 2 perspective. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so they are to really do one thing, make disciples. The way they do that is to, number one, to go. Then we see they are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then they are to teach. All right? So now the question is, is the church in Acts 2 accomplishing that? All right? So hopefully your Bible's open there to Acts 2. Look down at verse 41. All right? I started at verse 42 when I was reading, but if you go back to verse 41, we saw last week how Peter had been preaching the sermon, sharing the gospel, and in verse 41 it says that those who received his words, in other words, those who believed that the gospel message were baptized. And we see there that 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. All right, so they, they are. They're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they did that part. Verse 42, we then see that those 3,000 people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right, so they're teaching them to observe everything Jesus commanded. One of the things that Jesus commanded the people to do was to love one another. Well, as we look there in verses 40 through 46, we see them loving one another. They're, they're giving, providing for each other. So they're accomplishing that as well. But remember, the biggest thing was to make disciples. Well, go down to verse 47, and you see the very last sentence says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they are making disciples. So is the church doing what Jesus told them to do? Yes. Or were they? Remember, back in Matthew 28... Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so therefore, go. And where were they supposed to go? 
all nations. If you're open there still to Acts, flip back to uh, chapter 1 or scroll there on your phone. Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus explains, he expands what he means by that phrase, all nations. He says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we saw that last week as we talked about chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit descending as these flames of tongues onto the people on the the Jewish feast of Pentecost. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, so for Jesus... All nations is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. Jerusalem is where they were living, where they were working. It's where they were at that moment. Judea would be like their state. So for us, our Judea would be Iowa. Samaria was a region just north of them, but the people there were only half Jewish. So they were racially somewhat different. They were also culturally somewhat different. But Jesus is saying this gospel is even for them. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and it's to go to the ends of the earth. Basically, it's to go everywhere else because it's for everyone else. And so we are to go to all the nations, to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is calling us to be on mission. So in chapter 2, where do we see the church? We see them in Jerusalem. And, And that's just fine. The church is in Jerusalem because that's where Jesus told them to start. And so they're, they're doing that. However, when you get to chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and 6 and 7, the church is still in Jerusalem. Now, when you start reading through those passages, you start seeing some of the things that they start coming against. Some of the Jewish leaders in chapter 3 arrest Peter uh, and, and James, and, and they go through their whole trial in chapter 5, we see this internal thing start happening with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter 6, we start seeing you know, this thing with the widows and, and distribution of food. And certain people are being discriminated against. So we see some outward problems and some inward problems. But all of it takes place in Jerusalem. We do not read about a single person going out to Judea. We don't read about anyone coming to Christ in Samaria. We don't even read about an email being sent around the globe. Like it's all happening in this one location. So the church was sort of doing what God had called them to do. They're loving one another. We're seeing some disciples being made, but we were not seeing it at the same level. In fact, go to chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, head down to verse 32. I suspect this is going to sound very, very uh, familiar to you. Acts 4, 32. Now, the full number of those who believed, in other words, all those who were Jesus followers... We're of one heart and soul. So there it is. The church is having fun. They're they're being together. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many words were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. All right, sounds very, very familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like what I read to start my message from Acts 2. But there's one big thing missing. There's one thing back in Acts 2 that we heard that we don't hear here in Acts 4. It's basically the equivalent of verse 47 in Acts 2. Acts 2.47 says... 
that, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We don't see that in Acts 4. Now, I'm just going to clue you in that I, I'm going to confess. I'm walking on a little bit of thin ice here. It's kind of dangerous to build too much off of silence. Just because something isn't said there doesn't mean it wasn't happening. However, because Jesus said they're to make disciples, they're to make those disciples in Judea, uh, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We're told that they're making disciples in chapter two, but it's left off in chapter four. It starts to make me wonder. They weren't seeing the same kind of disciple making happening. Because they weren't doing everything that Jesus had called them to. And sadly, it took a very tragic, traumatic event to get the church back on mission. In chapter 6, we read about um, this issue happening within the church. There were widows who had no husband to provide for them. So the church stepped in. I met many of you, you know, when, when you find it, like just, just today, Miguel and Michelle came up and said, Aaron, thank you so much. You know, we took them a meal and Albright's helped provide one and, and the Englehart's provide one. Like when, when something happens so often, we jump in with some food and, and we see that here in Acts 2 and Acts 4. You know, they, they jump in and they're helping out with some food, you know, so they're, they're loving one another. But, but what's happening in Acts 6 is there were some people being like discriminated against. They weren't receiving food and they're widows. And so it, it kind of comes up and it gets brought before the, the uh, apostles and, and they're like the elders of the church. And they're like, guys, we've got so much to do as we're leading this new mega church. We can't stop what we're doing to go and wait tables. So they decide to start their very first deacon board. They, they bring on these deacons, one of whom is named Stephen. The scriptures describe Stephen as this amazing individual. I read about Stephen and I sometimes wonder why wasn't Stephen one of the apostles? Why wasn't he one of the elders? I mean, a man of integrity. He could explain the gospel. God was using him to actually perform miracles. So often the only people doing the miracles here are, are apostles. And yet Stephen is doing them. And he's out and about in Jerusalem. And he slowly builds some enemies. Some people who don't like him because they're anti-Christian. But they can't refute the things that Stephen is saying. So they create false charges against him. So that he ends up arrested. So in Acts chapter 7, you see Stephen stand before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, and he's expected to give a defense. So chapter 7 is really long. He basically starts recounting all of Israel's history. You're wondering, why would he do that? Those people on the council, they know all that already. But he's trying to let them know, I'm also a Jewish man. I believe these things. I know these things. But then you see him get to this place where he turns it towards Jesus. And to him, the evidence is overwhelming. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. You killed him on a cross, but he rose again from the dead. This is evidence that God has sent Jesus. You need to repent of your sins and give your life to Christ. But because the Sanhedrin was about power at that time, they didn't believe him. They got so angry, they drug him outside and they stoned him to death. The first Christian martyr. And that gets us to chapter 8. So if you, if you want, flip over to chapter 8. At that stoning of Stephen, there's a guy by the name of Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. So 8.1 starts off with, and Saul approved of his execution. What I want you to see is the next phrase. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. You ever wondered what a persecution like that would be like? And, and I don't mean the type of persecution that I've heard some Christians in America talk about. You know, like when you go to Target and they say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. That, that's not 
the persecution I'm talking about here. I'm talking about persecution where they don't just hurl insults, they hurl bullets. Where they're not just trying to cancel you, they're trying to kill you. I mean, if you are a Jesus follower, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who right now are living in countries that if they attempted what we are doing right now, it would probably be the end of their life. There would be police who would crash into the door. The pastor especially would be made an example of and probably killed. Many of you would be put into prison. You'd be starved. You'd be beaten, forced to try to recant your faith in Christ. That's the kind of persecution that suddenly broke out here in chapter 8. And remember, back in chapter 2, we saw that the early church had the favor of all the people. Like, people were amazed at this new church. Because to them, it wasn't a church. This was a movement within Judaism. Jesus, they were saying, was the Messiah. These were Jewish people. And they were remarking about it. So they had favor with the people. And now suddenly here, six chapters later, they've lost favor. Instead of everyone liking them, people are hating them. And a great persecution comes against the church in Jerusalem. I think if we experienced persecution like that, it would be awful. I really don't want to lose any of you. I don't want you arrested. I don't want you killed because you believe in Jesus. Many people would say that stuff like that is spiritual warfare. And I'd have to agree with them. Uh, The apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 he says that we don't wrestle just against flesh and blood. We wrestle against these, these powers, these, these dominions, these things in the spirit realm. And, and so that means this persecution here in chapter 8, it's not just the Jewish leaders trying to come against this new movement within Judaism. This is Satan trying to come against God's new church that has been birthed out of the gospel and empowered by the spirit. And yet, it is at this moment... This horrible, difficult moment where Satan intends to squelch the church that God actually unleashes the church. Look at the next phrase there in 8.1. And they, the church, the Jesus followers, the disciples, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles remained in Jerusalem to continue to lead the church, to continue to help the the, the gospel message go forward. But so many of the disciples scattered to Judea and Samaria. And if you continue to read the book of Acts, you see this message about Jesus going on and on and on. It gets to the ends of the earth. If you don't believe me, we are evidence of it. Do you realize how far away we are from Jerusalem? Do you realize how far away we are in time? And yet here we are gathered talking about these events that happened over 2,000 years ago. Many of us believing it's all true. It worked. But it all began where Satan tried to squelch the church. But God instead unleashed it. But I want to make something really, really, really clear. God did not create the church and then give a mission to them. It's actually flipped. As you study the scriptures, you see that God had a mission and he created a church for it. Think this through. Jesus, God the Son, is in heaven with his Father, with the Spirit, but he descends to earth. 
the incarnation. He takes on human flesh. And what is it he does while he is here on earth? He makes disciples. He preaches about the kingdom of God. But as he makes disciples, he's trying to make other disciples. In fact, the book of Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts. If, if you think about it, that means his gospel that bears his name. It's kind of like volume one. All right, so really, we kind of got one big, long thing. Volume one, the book of Luke. Volume two, the book of Acts. They're, they're, they're really together. All right, in volume one, in the book of Acts, as we look at the life of Jesus, in chapter four, we see Jesus begin his public ministry. He's baptized. He goes out into the wilderness where he's tempted. And then he comes back and Luke lets us know he is now preaching about the kingdom of God. All right, so his public ministry begins to work. The Jewish historian Josephus said that there were about 204 villages and cities in ancient Israel at that time. All right, so you got one guy, Jesus, traveling around preaching about the kingdom of God. So it's like one missionary or one mission team trying to reach the 204 villages. In chapter 5, we see Jesus call some disciples. But we don't really see those disciples do much of anything in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's pretty much just Jesus doing all the teaching, all the miracles. So it's just the one guy. But his 12 disciples are learning. They're watching. They're listening. And then suddenly in chapter 9, Jesus sends. He sends the 12. Sends them out in pairs. So now suddenly instead of just one guy, Jesus doing this all by himself, you've now got six teams out. So suddenly your ratio has now dropped 1 to 34. Well, apparently it works because by the time we get to chapter 10, we discover there are more people starting to follow Jesus so much so that at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends 72 and he sends them out in pairs. So 36 teams are now going out trying to reach the 204 villages. That means our ratio has now dropped to less than one to six. It's actually one to 5.666 repeating. I did that for my math nerds in my family. So suddenly we've seen the ratio drop dramatically. But now remember, the Gospel of Luke is volume one. It continues in volume two, the book of Acts. And what do we see at the very beginning of Acts? You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Suddenly, it's not just about these 204 villages and communities. It's about everyone. And you're not going to reach everyone with 72 disciples separated into 36 teams. You're going to need a whole lot more. And that is why we see in verse 41 of chapter 2, God creates 3,000 more missionaries, more disciples in one day so that this can continue. You see, God had a mission all along. God loves humanity. He created them. He put his image in them. But because of sin, they've been separated from him. And God wants this life-changing message coming to them. And by his design, he's chosen to use humans to reach other humans. And so because he had a mission, he created a church. And if you are a Jesus follower, you are part of the church. Which means the question is, if you are a follower of Jesus, are you making disciples? Now, sometimes we hear that, making disciples. And, and for some people, their, their mind immediately goes to overseas missions. I mean, Jesus said to go to all the nations. You know, we are to go to the ends of the earth. And so to them, making disciples means, oh, great, I've got to pack up and go to China or, or, or Africa or, you know, to Mozambique. You know, like, I got to go somewhere else to do this. 
maybe. If God is calling you to, to overseas missions, he's calling you to go to some place, then by all means, I want to help you get there. I, I'm just going to let you know, I'll be sad to see you go. I love you guys. I, I'd love to keep you as long as possible. But this mission is so much bigger than just my wants and desires. This is more than just about Riverwood. This is about God's kingdom. And so if God's calling you, then we will do whatever we can to help send you. This is where I wish, I wish Riverwood was like a, a wealthy church. Not so we could build ourselves a big building. Not so we could just make a big name for ourselves. But that we would have the money to help send you to go to the ends of the earth. To go to a Samaria. To go further into Judea. But remember, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Like right where you're at. This isn't just an ends of the earth thing. It begins right now. Right where you are. In uh, the, the, this past few months, uh, I was able to reconnect with a friend, uh, Ben Schmidt. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, lead Ben's uh, wedding uh, when he married Jenna. And uh, that was like 12 years ago. And uh, when I met uh, Ben, I, I think he was youth pastor at that time on staff at Prairie Lakes Church down in Cedar Falls. But I had heard Ben's story. Ben um, wanted to, uh, basically Ben went to you and I to be a football player. And while he did play football, ultimately he became a Jesus follower. He became absolutely passionate about Jesus. Ends up on staff at Prairie Lakes, but he really wanted to reach athletes. And I knew even back then when I officiated his wedding that he wanted to be on staff with FCA. Now he is. He's the local director for Northeast Iowa. I had a chance to, to connect with him and I found out some of what they're doing at, at Wartburg, at Waverly Shell Rock, but it, also in other communities. Uh, just to be completely transparent with you guys, um, Riverwood every year has in our budget monies to, to give. Right? And um, we give locally here to the Waverly Benevolence Fund. We give to some other things. So we're, we're trying to help give some of our funds as a church family into our Jerusalem. But we haven't been doing a whole lot with Judea. We, we give to Patrick Ray, who's planning a church up in North Minneapolis. We see that as kind of our Samaria. We're working right now on, on trying to get some things to, to do ends of the earth, some overseas missions. But we, we weren't doing anything in Judea. And I meet Ben, and I realize, man, I want to help him. And so I talked to our elder team, and we realized that every year in our budget money, we almost never expend all of our giving dollars. And so what we've done almost every year is we've lumped that in with our impact gift. Those of you who have been part of Riverwood long enough you know that every Christmas we do a big impact gift. And we'll give one year to into something local, another year we'll give to something global, and we, we flip back and forth. But we often take what's left over in our giving money and just throw that in with the impact gift, which, which is great. Fine, I want to see it used. But that chunk was almost always around $500. And so our elder team just recently decided, let's help FCA. Because they're getting into Wartburg in a way we can't. They're getting into these high schools and other colleges in ways we can't. They're helping to reach Judea. And so let's, let's give and support that. So we're now starting to give $500 per year. And so I, I, I have this relationship now with Ben kind of resurrected. We've you know, been out of touch for a number of years. And Ben's like, Aaron, I've, I've been leading a Wartburg Bible study on Zoom over the summer. You know what? I want you to join it. I want them to know a local pastor. I want them to know of a local church that would be behind them and that would be for them. So last Monday night, I joined their online Bible study. Now, they have about five or six leaders. They're supposed to be a part of it, but there were only two. So there were, there were four of us on this Zoom, and they've just been going through Colossians. Well, they're up to chapter 4. And as we're working through Colossians 4, we get to verses 5 and 6. And as we start reading it, I realize this is exactly what we're talking about this coming Sunday. 
So I want you to hear it. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul writes, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This verse stands out to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul's in prison. When you go up to verses two through four, you see that that Paul is writing this letter from prison. And the reason he says he's in prison is because he was sharing the gospel. And yet he says, would you guys pray that I would have more opportunities to share the gospel? I mean, usually when you go to prison, you stop doing the thing that put you there, but not Paul. Paul's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the gospel put me in prison, but hey, I'm going to share the gospel. Like Jesus is so amazing. So awesome. He changed my life. I can't help but tell everyone. So if there's going to be a guard outside my door, I'm telling them about Jesus. If someone's going to come visit me while I'm under house arrest, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. If I can write a letter to someone, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So he says, pray that I would have opportunities to share this beautiful mystery about Christ. But then he doesn't stop there. Because this mission of sharing Jesus is not just for apostles like Paul. It's not just for like some super Christian or professional Christian like pastors. What he writes there is to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. So if you follow Jesus, Paul is writing to you. You are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Those who are not part of the redeemed people of God. And you're to let your speech be gracious. It is to be kind. It is to be filled with love. It is to be seasoned with salt so that you may preserve the relationship. You may make the relationship wonderful. You are to make the most of the time so that they would have every opportunity to want to give their life to Christ. So again, I ask you, if you are a Jesus follower, are you making disciples? But again, don't wait. You don't have to wait till you're at the ends of the earth. You don't have to wait till you're in Samaria, like North Minneapolis. You can start right here, right now. So if you are a parent, you are not just to have the role of raising wonderful, kind citizens for our society. You are to be doing everything you can to give them every opportunity to find and follow Jesus. You can't make them do it. Please don't try but instead, do everything you can to make it available, to be open. Let them see the gospel at work in, in your imperfect life. But let them know about the gospel. Make disciples. If you are a student, you are not just to go to school simply to get an education, simply to, to you know, uh, 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 get, acquire all you can to do these extracurricular activities. You are also there to make disciples. So walk with wisdom. Among your peers, your classmates. Let your speech be seasoned with grace and salt. If you have a job, you're not there just to get an income. You're not just there to help your company, you know, meet the the bottom line. You are also there to make disciples. To walk with wisdom. To make the most of that time. You will not be in that job forever. How can you use that time there? to be the greatest blessing they have ever seen and experienced, to notice Jesus at work in your imperfect life. If you have neighbors, extended family, old high school friends or old college friends that you're still in touch with and you know that they've not given their life to Jesus, how can you walk in wisdom 
How can you let your speech be seasoned with grace? How can you make the most of that relationship to give them every opportunity to know this life-changing message? This message was so important, Paul could not even let prison keep him from sharing it. What's our excuse? Now, don't forget, a big part of the mission, what Jesus gave us, is to love one another. So by all means, we have got to, as the redeemed people of God, have fun right here. But we are not to let our fun keep us from the bigger mission. There is a world hurting that needs Christ, and he wants to use us, this fun of fellowship of people, to go and be that blessing and invite people to find and follow Jesus. But I want you to remember that in our definition, we are the redeemed people of God living on mission together. Yes, you can make disciples by yourself. But it's way more fun and way more effective when you get to do it with others. As someone who parachute dropped in with his family into a community, I could tell you it's hard doing it by yourself. I sometimes wonder how much farther we would be had we had another family, at least one, just join us in the very beginning. Now, God wrote the story. This was his leading. And so we're, we're not looking back with regret. But I just sometimes wonder. That's why I, when we one day help plant a church, I hope and pray God allows us to send at least two families to go and do it. Or three or four. To not just send one alone. When you look at what Jesus did, when he sent the 12, he sent them in pairs. When he sent the 72, he sent them in pairs. When you go into the book of Acts and you study the life of Paul after he gives his life to Christ, he is almost always with a team. We are to do this together. So join a growth group so that you can have that fun, build those relationships, encourage one another and accomplish that part of the mission. But also that's a group of people that can encourage you and pray with you and help you. And who knows, you might be able to invite someone into those relationships in your growth group or within the Riverwood family and they make a connection. And that's part of who God uses to help them come to Christ. You don't have to do this alone. Embed yourself in with one another so that then when you do get the wonderful joy and opportunity of seeing someone give their life to Christ, we will celebrate with you. So let us be the redeemed people of God. Let us have an absolute blast loving one another. But let us be a redeemed people of God that are on mission together because the world out there needs it and God created us for it. Heavenly Father, I pray that these would not just be words that I say or words that we see on a page, that these would be words that live in our heart and they come out in our lives. Jesus, you have called us to something great. Your mission has always been there and you created the church to accomplish it. God, I'm reminded that we started Riverwood not to compete with other churches. Instead, you created Riverwood to complete the mission you've given every church. All of us are to be about this task of making disciples. And so Jesus, we know that you started this group. You started this collection of people. And we are so grateful that you have redeemed us. But there are people out there who need to know this as well. And so God, help us to not just be the kind of church that has our eyes inward and, and evaluates how a Sunday morning went or uh, uh, the color of things or uh, these, these small, simple, worldly things. God, let us have a bigger vision to see a group of people that need you 
and realizing that we are the people you created to go and reach them. So God, I pray you'd help us to be a church that walks in wisdom. We would be a church that our speech is seasoned with grace. That people would find themselves wanting to be around us because we say words of love and kindness. That we are building others up. But ultimately we are pointing them to you, the one who, who showered love and grace upon us, who has built us up, who's empowered us with his spirit. So God, help us to do this individually, but to also do it collectively. So that we are that church you call us to be. That we are living out the definition that we believe you have. God, help us to not be a church that, that like in Acts 4, has become comfortable. God, I also pray that we would not have to wait until an Acts 8 event happens where we have persecution. God, help us instead to be so motivated already by the gospel that we would just go and impact and bless and love. Because God, I believe that as we do that, we will move into our greatest days as a church and as followers of Jesus. And I believe it is there that we will find our greatest joy. And that one day as we look back upon our lives, we will see this time, this season within Riverwood. And we will just be amazed. Not because I was the pastor or Jake was the worship leader or Bridget was the Kids Creek director or because we had an awesome small group, we will look back at this time and see you at work. So Holy Spirit, help us to surrender right now. Help us to just give ourselves to you. You would hear our prayers. You'd hear us confess our sins. We, we would just continue to lay our lives down to take up this mission. Because God, you created this mission way before you ever created us. And so we want to give ourselves to the bigger cause to not make this life, this church about me, but to make it about you and all of us. So God, I pray that you would accomplish this for your glory and our joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.